welcome to the Any Monday Podcast. My name is Colin Hemphill. And I'm Kayla Hemphill. On our show, we roll the virtual dice each week and must watch a randomly selected anime title. Thanks for joining us. Hi, everyone. Thanks again to uh, Michael for coming in last week. Uh, We are going to try to have an occasional rotation of guests who come in to help us with the podcast. Yeah, it seemed like you guys really liked having the guest on. Yeah, sorry we're not as funny as he is. (laughs) Not everyone can be Michael. No. Last week, we hit the random button on Crunchyroll, and the anime that was summoned for us is called Token Ranbu. Token Ranbu is a collectible card game. It's a browser-based game that was developed by Nitro Plus and DMM Games. It was adapted into a series of stage plays and musicals, a live-action film that actually comes out this January, and uh, three separate anime series. I'm sorry, hold on. Did you say musicals? I did say musicals. What? Live stage shows. (laughs) Oh my gosh. All right, all right. I believe the live-action film is also based on the musicals, but (laughs) I have have not confirmed. I need to find this. Uh, So we watched Token Ranbu Hanamaru, which is the first of the animes that was created, and it aired in October of 2016. You want to give us a synopsis of the plot, Kayla? Sure thing. When the monstrous historical retrograde army attempts to alter the course of history by disrupting important events... A mysterious master summons legendary swords that manifest as warriors. These personified swordmen live life together in the year 2205. But when the master calls, they travel back in time to these historical events and fight off the invaders. So to get us started uh, talking about the characters and story of this anime, I actually kind of want to talk about a different anime a little bit. Okay. Uh, I briefly told you about this show, but um, there is another show called Kantai Collection. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, And it similarly started as a collectible card game uh, where you collect cards that are based on World War II warships. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And uh, these warships are personified as cute anime girls. (laughs) Okay. Which is a great idea for a property, I guess. Sure, sure. Uh, It was actually extremely popular, and it spawned a whole bunch of other video games and anime series and even a tabletop RPG (laughs) that you can play. (laughs) That's awesome. I don't know that uh, Kantai Collection was like the first of its kind, mm-hmm. but a bunch of other media after that have come out. Um, like there are things like Hitalia, which you mentioned, yeah. um, which have done similar things where they personify like historical entities of some sort. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the whole idea of like a trading card game based on these personified things. Yeah. Uh, Kantai Collection is kind of big for that. Sure. Token Ronbu is more or less a reskin of that game. Uh, it was actually developed by the same company. Oh, okay. And uh, more or less, they kind of gender swapped to <laughs> dudes, sure. and they changed the historical setting to uh, what appears to be feudal Japan. Yeah. I was reading that this particular game became really popular as well, uh, but especially among young women, uh, and it had over 1.5 million players when it uh, was uh, still running. Whoa. Or it might be running now, but that was like... Sure. Some, At the peak. Yeah, that was a yeah. big peak registration. Uh, in fact, it gave rise to a cultural trend in Japan that is called katana women. Okay. <laughs> uh, which is women who are interested in historical Japanese swords, and they, like, pose with them in photos. <laughs> and they generally just became really interested in historical Japan. Cool. Because of this property. Hey, if it helps. Uh, so that's pretty interesting. Yeah. <laughs> More or less, the show is about, like, uh, or the property, the the Mm -hmm. game, was you Mm -hmm. collect these historical swords, Mm -hmm. and they are kind of personified, and the the character card for them looks like this guy. Yeah. 
uh, usually an attractive young man of mm-hmm. some sort. Mm-hmm. But this show, in the the way that they've kind of organized it into an anime, mm-hmm. it uh, starts in the year 2205, yep. which you mentioned mm-hmm. in the synopsis. But it's definitely, like, not that at the same time. Yeah, there are a few times when they introduce, you know, some form of technology, but for the most part, looks like feudal Japan. Yeah, the especially the the part that they're living in and, mm-hmm. and the kind of world that they've created. Mm-hmm. But occasionally they do different shots. They'll go into town and this little general store that they have mm-hmm. has like electronic devices, yeah. like cameras and mm-hmm. uh, little animatronic kind of figures <laughs> yeah. like, that dance and sing. Yeah. Uh, the place where they live, they call the Citadel. Mm-hmm. And they have like a tractor yeah. in, uh, in their fields that mm-hmm. they can use. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... All of the technology seems like modern day, but they say that it's way in the future. Sure. I guess if you think about them being swords from the past, it would make sense to put them in an environment which they'd be the most familiar with and then introduce them to new technology. Not that we see that at all. They seem to just be able to know how to use technology inherently, even though they were definitely recently swords. But it would make sense that The person that summons them is called the master. It makes sense that the master would put them in a situation that would be most familiar to them. So I I feel like it's going to be kind of hard to talk about the characters in this show because there are so many of them. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. um, I'm not sure how many are in the first four episodes because there's no way to track that. But I looked it up. In the first season alone, there are 48 reoccurring characters. Yeah. They don't all start out um, being introduced in the first episode. Some characters are already present in the Citadel, and some get introduced later because the Master summons them. But that is a lot of characters that you are expected to keep up with, and that is just hard to do in this anime setting. I'm sure in the game, you know, you spend time, you read their stat, you get to know them. Uh, But in an anime setting, it is very hard to get to know them. Uh, a lot of characters don't get any screen time, and so you just kind of see them hanging out in the background. Yeah, and, and I think it it sort of works. Um, they don't they don't try to make you know the characters. That is true. They just kind of introduce them all mm-hmm. uh, very quickly, mm-hmm. and they'll show a name, but you're not like expected to remember it or know who they're talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, usually, there's only like two or three characters who, at any given time, they are you're expected to, like, know who they are and who they're talking about. Sure. Um, But for the most part, these are all just kind of generalized characters. They're Mm -hmm. kind of general personalities. Mm -hmm. And as long as you see that person, you say, okay, that's kind of the guy who who acts this way and he does this thing. Uh, As long as you can kind of keep that in your head, you don't really have to know them all that well. Yeah, there's some characters that get more screen time than others. Uh, You could argue that they're... Sort of the main characters. I'd say there's probably three that you see the most and you would probably even know by name. But for the most part, everybody's kind of, like you said, with their personalities, kind of interchangeable. But they do have distinct physical characteristics. Yeah. Everybody is looks different. Um, there's some that are more similar because they are similar types of swords, yeah. uh, as we were kind of finding out. But um, 
they did a pretty good job of actually physically distinguishing all the different characters. Yeah, and we don't know a whole lot about uh, <laughs> Japanese swords and, and yeah. the history and the different varieties because there are a whole bunch. We were Googling as, yeah, we, as we characters were coming up. <laughs> um, but there, there are obvious physical characteristics, like you said. Like mm-hmm. uh, there was one guy who... He's real tall, and he carries a, a huge sword. It was one of the mm-hmm. biggest kinds that they used in that era. Mm-hmm. And then there's real short guys, and they mm-hmm. personify like a Tonto or something like that. Yeah. Uh, one name that I did write down is Hasabe. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> he kind of tends to be the leader among the swords <laughs> when they have like meetings. He mm-hmm. calls everyone together, and he, mm-hmm. he tries to keep them at bay and, and get them to listen and pay attention. Yeah. And he's also one of the only ones who really talks directly to their master. Yeah. Uh, they gave him a role title. I don't I don't remember what that was exactly. Attendant. Attendant to the master. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he'll go have conversations with the master and mm-hmm. but yeah, he's he's about the only name that I wrote down actually. Yeah. Yeah, he's used a lot for comedic relief um because he's really high strung. And nobody ever listens to him. Mm-hmm. Like, if it comes time for them to battle and he's, like, the person in charge, then they will. But just kind of their day-to-day stuff. Like, he always wants to make a speech and everybody always leaves before his speech is over and he gets real upset. So he's kind of amusing. The other two probably main characters that get the most time um, are the first two characters we're introduced to, which is Yasusada and... Um, Kiyomitsu. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to butcher these. And they're pretty interesting just in the fact that they knew each other as swords. I'm not really sure how it works if they're saying that they have, they apparently have memory as swords. So I'm not sure if they're supposed to be sentient swords. I'm not sure how that works. But um, these two were owned by the same master in the past. And so they have this sort of relationship with each other. And Kiyomitsu was the first sword that was summoned in the whole citadel. And then um, Yasusada was introduced later. Um, He's the first one that is summoned in the first episode. So like Colin was saying, their personalities are pretty average. I don't want to say they're bland um, because they're not. They're just not caricatures of a personality. They're just sort of like your average dudes that also just happen to be really good at fighting with swords because they are swords but other than that i couldn't tell you like a distinguishing thing about those characters yeah it's it's kind of um a mark of this genre of like game and property Mm -hmm. that they share some sort of similarities with whatever they're representing but even like a warship seems (laughs) easier to characterize than a sword sure uh, especially when those those ships have names mm-hmm. and they have histories, mm-hmm. it doesn't seem like these are like named swords. They're not sure. historically significant swords. Mm-hmm. They have masters who are real historical figures mm-hmm. who did certain things, mm-hmm. um, but they're just like I'm his sword. Yeah. Whereas uh, a battleship, you know, has a name and it has events that it itself has gone through. Mm-hmm. So it seems a little bit harder to characterize them, mm-hmm. and some of them felt pretty samey. Mm-hmm. Um, you couldn't really tell one character's personality from another. Absolutely. Or one has a quirk that might show up in a different character as well. Yeah. And I think that's just a matter of it being so many characters, too. Yeah, it's it's hard to make that many personalities um, without it just becoming 
these very niche, you know, one note kind of personalities. So I appreciate the fact that they didn't try to make every single one of them, you know, their own kind of person, their own little quirk personality, because then it would just be 50 different little one note personalities. Um, so I, I do like that the show didn't try to do that. But it it does make it hard sometimes when you're just trying to absorb 50 different characters. (laughs) Yeah. So. One other character that might be worth talking about is the master, which the master is never shown. Mm -mm. At least in these episodes, there's no indication that they're planning to show who this person is. Mm -hmm. Uh, They refer to them with gender neutral pronouns. Mm -hmm. And so kind of what I gathered from that is that the master is supposed to be you, yeah. the person playing the game, mm-hmm. and you as the master, like, summon these cards, mm-hmm. and they turn into anime boys, <laughs> and then they you can send them back in time to go fight in these battles. Yeah. Uh, so I thought that was an interesting angle on things, too. Yeah. Uh, but do you want to talk at all about kind of the story behind all of this? Sure. So there's kind of two things going on. Some Some of the episodes focus on the swords being used in battle to go back into the past and fight these they are monsters they're they're like these ghoulish ghostly looking yeah sort of maybe demonic yeah. oni or something mm-hmm. absolutely and so they go back to real historical conflicts things that Colin and I actually looked up and they were real battles or conflicts that took place in the past and uh, these demons or whatever are trying to stop that event from happening or to change the course of history in some way. And the swords are sent to fight those monsters off to make sure that history happens as it's supposed to. So they're not there to change anything. They're there to maintain history. And those are really interesting. Yeah. Um, because occasionally a sword will go fight a conflict that involves a previous master of theirs. And so there'll be conversations about the conflict that they have, either about wanting to save their master or see their master or just dealing with a not good master and how much they didn't like the actions of their previous master. Yeah, one of these events, and I... I didn't write any of this down, so (laughs) the sword was not a fan of their master. This Mm -hmm. was kind of a bad dude, Mm -hmm. and um, the event was basically what led to his death, Mm -hmm. and they were supposed to go back and and allow that event to happen Mm -hmm. so that the master would die and um, history would continue as it was. And it was dealing a lot with his kind of inner turmoil and struggle with what do I do with this situation and how am I supposed to feel now that I've seen this mm-hmm. firsthand and I've watched it happen again. Yeah, so that's that's kind of w- one story stuff that's going on. The other one is where they're just hanging out <laughs> and they're just being normal swords that are now men. So as we kind of talked about before, they uh, they do things like have picnics and they do chores and they go to they go into town and they go to a general store and they all buy like silly little trinkets and stuff like that. So half the episodes are about them going back in the past and half of the episodes are just them living their weird personified lives. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there there seems to be sort of a formula for the episodes where they just kind of pick and choose parts of that formula to make up an episode. So mm-hmm. the the total formula could be like 
at the beginning of the episode, they summon a new sword and he joins mm-hmm. their forces. Yep. And then uh, they just kind of introduce that new sword to the rest of the group and how life functions there. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they, they all kind of hang out and they get into shenanigans and, <laughs> and things and do chores and things like that. Yeah. And then the latter half of the episode, the master will get word that there's this attack happening in the past Mm -hmm. and they go to that event and they fight it off and they talk about the event. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so each episode kind of picks and chooses pieces of that to form the whole episode. Yeah. So sometimes an entire episode will focus on going back into the past and sometimes it'll focus about just introducing the sword to their citadel and how they live and, and that sort of thing. So there's not a overarching kind of plot going on that I can tell. There, there are some interesting things they do with the kind of day-to-day slice of life part of this. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a couple characters who I think are brothers. They're related somehow. Mm-hmm. And their other brother hasn't been summoned yet. Mm-hmm. And so they're all waiting for the day that their master is going to, to choose to summon that person so that they mm-hmm. can be reunited. Mm-hmm. Um, so things like that are interesting in the way that they've uh, connected these legendary swords and then have them interact in some way and how that plays into this weird kind of daily life thing that they have. One thing I, I kind of want to note is we are not fully certain how the summoning works. I don't know if the master has to find the sword and then just personify that sword or if it's any sword and he just brings the personality and memories of that sword onto a sword that he finds. That part's not super clear. Yeah. But it doesn't really detract. Um, if you just kind of embrace it, it all just kind of works out. <laughs> One thing that I thought was pretty funny about that is mm-hmm. that the swords don't really think their master is especially good at this game. <laughs> no. They... Uh, they complain about like his tactical choices mm-hmm. because uh, he selects six swords to to go back into these past events and and fight off uh, these attacking creatures. Mm-hmm. And one time he sent like the really long sword <laughs> to go fight an indoor battle, and yeah. uh, that sword was useless the whole time because he was stuck in a wall. Yeah. Uh, and they get back and they're like, "Yeah, we should tell the master not to do that again." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I think it's funny when um, when it does stuff like that because you, or maybe me, as a person who does not study, you know, Japanese swords or any swords for that matter, would not know those things. So I think it's funny that they kind of use that as like, you as the master are not the most tactical, you know, person there is. And so there's like a learning curve and, and it plays out how you would probably play the game. Yeah, as an average player of this game, that mm-hmm. would probably connect pretty well with you. Yeah. But the swords still seem to be affectionate towards the master. So even when they're talking about like, yeah, sometimes I don't understand his choices or anything, but not he, but they, they're they're still pretty cute. So they all, they don't have any hard feelings towards the master at all or towards you, but it's just kind of funny to see them interact with the choices that the master makes. What did you think about the animation? Yeah, um, I was thinking some some different things as, as I was watching this about the animation and the, the production. One is that I, I don't know if there's a connection, but it kind of reminded me of Steinsgate in the production. Okay. Which I say that because 
Steins Gate, the visual novel, was also produced by Nitro Plus, oh, okay. uh, which is the same developer or at least publisher of this game. Okay. Uh, the studios who made those two anime are not the same, mm -hmm. but they both felt very visually similar to me. Mm, interesting. Um, which is to say that generally the the drawing and the production is pretty good, mm -hmm. but there's a, a really distinct style uh, where colors are really washed out. Mm. Uh, there's bright light contrasted with, um, especially the, these episodes took place in January and February, so mm -hmm. there was snow on the ground everywhere. Mm -hmm. And it almost felt like all the snow was reflecting on everything because mm -hmm. their faces and the environments were all so bright and, mm -hmm. and almost oversaturated in some places. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if that was the studio style or if there is some kind of connection with Nitro Plus going on there, because um, it's possible that's how the game looks, too, in in those sorts of colors. Sure, sure. Uh, as far as, like, the character designs, there's, you know, there's some variation in the characters, <laughs> and sure. they all look pretty different in heights and styles and even the clothes they wear. Mm -hmm. um, Hasabe basically wears, like, a modern tracksuit most <laughs> yeah. of the day, which yeah. is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> because everyone else is wearing period clothing. Yeah. But as far as the character designs, there were a few weird things. Like, I still don't quite understand the showing people's eyes through their hair thing. Sure. It's probably easier to draw. It makes it easier to for the character to have expression because mm -hmm. you can still move their eyes the same way. Mm -hmm. But it looked super weird on some of these characters. Sure. Yeah, and one thing that it seems like the animators put a lot of effort into was making each of these characters look different. And because of that, some characters look very over the top. Yeah, wild exaggerations in yeah. features. Yeah, like hair that defies gravity. <laughs> and um, But it's really interesting because, like Colin was saying, all of their outfits also look very different. So, you know, some I noticed some of the uh, shorter blades, um, they look pretty similar because they're all... They tend to be pretty short. They tend to look more childlike. And so they had fairly similar characteristics, but they would wear different kinds of clothing and they'd have different hairstyles. Um, but when you start getting into the bigger swords, they have more elaborate outfits and they're really well done. They're really well drawn. They're, they look beautiful. And so it was really interesting to see how much personality is put into the character design as opposed to personality. Yeah, I agree. Uh, there was also a, a really wide range of characters from extremely masculine characters mm -hmm. to uh, really effeminate characters as yes. well. One of the characters gets mistaken for a girl like in the show. Mm -hmm. uh, one paints their nails mm -hmm. and has, you know, uh, kind of a, a feminine hairstyle mm -hmm. and, and things like that, too. Mm -hmm. So there's a pretty wide variation in the way the characters look. And they don't treat any of the swords any differently because of it it's not like oh those swords are like to be shamed or something no they're all treated the same and they're treated as warriors and it's really cool to see this variety of in a way masculinity and how they're all these legendary swords that you know can be used to fight these demons and yet they can be so remarkably different uh one thing i wanted to say about the background um for the most part, a lot of the backgrounds are drawn pretty simplistically. They're not hyper-detailed is what I mean. Um, so you, when when they show, like, the buildings or anything, like, you know their buildings, and they're not drawn 
with like every little inch of detail. It's sort of like, okay, like this is a building and there it is, like off in the distance, kind of like as much detail as you would take as, you know, if you were looking off in the distance. But there are times, um, I think of the cherry blossom tree episode, when they want to bring a lot of detail to the background. And there's this huge tree that they focus on in this episode. And they put all of these tags all over the tree uh, to make wishes. And it ends up looking like the tree is in bloom. And they they put in way more detail in this scene. And I was kind of blown away because, like I said, through most of it, it's not super highly detailed. And then to have this kind of really well-drawn, the lighting was, I mean, it looked amazing. And it didn't make the rest of the show look bad. It was just like, oh, wow, look at how much attention they put into this thing. And I was able to relate to the characters and how they felt about it. Because to me, it also felt like, oh my gosh, it just became this really beautiful thing. And so I really appreciated that the animators did that, that they were able to, for the most part, you know, make things look nice. But then they they really went the extra mile when they were trying to make something look amazing. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I would say in terms of uh, the music for the show, the score was generally pretty minimal. Mm-hmm. Um, you didn't really hear it come in unless there was some dramatic scene or, or they were building up to a fight. In those cases, there were some like decent orchestral scores uh, to highlight those moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the most part, it was it was subtle and it was it was reserved. Um, so I, I think it it didn't detract and it didn't add all that much, but yeah. um, not bad. Sure. Uh, one interesting thing about the music, though, is that for the ending animation, they actually, from what we can tell at least, mm-hmm. have a completely new animation and song mm-hmm. uh, for every episode. Yeah, and it seems to focus on whatever characters were sort of the focus in uh, the episode. It seems to focus, it seems to have those characters be the focus of the outro video. Yeah, including the voice work. Like mm-hmm. each song was sung by a different VO, I guess to kind of, since there are so many characters, give them all a role. And I thought that was pretty cool. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. It actually made you want to watch the credits, which a lot of times if you have the same boring kind of intro and outro, by the time we get to episode three or four, we're sort of like, okay, we can skip this part. But we stayed through the credits because they were different every time. And mm-hmm. and the even the style of the music changed with each outro. And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I, I usually won't sit through an in- intro and an outro more than once unless it's a great song. Yeah. Um, one thing I do want to say about the intro video, it, it kind of threw me for a loop in episode one because the intro is this really upbeat, fun kind of song. And in episode one, we jump into this historical battle like pretty quickly. Yeah. And it felt... Like, it did not belong at all. And I was like, what are they doing? What is this? And as the episodes progressed, it made more sense why they chose that music. Because the intro stays the same for every episode. Um, It made more sense with the characters doing more slice of life kind of things. But uh, anytime they have the historical fighting that goes on, that does those things do not match up well. Yeah, and so that kind of leads me into talking about our general likes and dislikes and and overall thoughts on the show. I think sometimes it did kind of struggle to find that balance of does it want to be this historical drama Mm -hmm. or does it want to be this fun, witty sort of slice of life thing with 
these people just hanging out. Yeah. So I, I think that sometimes detracted from it because... As you probably know, the slice of life thing is isn't necessarily my favorite. Um, so when it when it kind of straddles that line and, and doesn't quite handle those uh, those transitions smoothly, mm-hmm. uh, it can be kind of it it doesn't necessarily fit the style uh, the way that I want it to. Yeah, I I would agree with that. Um, and it would even be fine if it did sort of like a half and half sort of thing of like. Hey, we're gonna do the slice of life, and then the second half of the episode is them dealing with going back in past in the past or something like that. But since they don't, they don't really settle on either. It it just doesn't. It feels like two different shows. What I do think is is great about this show is that this kind of technique for exploring history is actually pretty interesting. Mm-hmm. It makes me more interested in the events, and mm-hmm. you know, I, when I was writing notes for this episode, I was very close to running down Wikipedia tangents of reading about <laughs> feudal and Edo Japan. And, yeah. Um, and, you know, it's not hard to distract me like that, but sure. I wouldn't say that, like, the specific events that I've never heard of would have interested me if mm-hmm. they hadn't been presented in this way. Uh, so I do think there's a whole lot of value in, in this kind of property in, in the way that it, it shares stories that way. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, we talked before about Hitalia, and that's a show that I've watched before. And it's the same sort of thing. They personify different countries in certain time periods. And I found that really interesting, not only because it told World War II from the viewpoint of Japan, which their stereotypes are totally different than ours, which I found very, very interesting. But it it made me rethink about some of the conflicts that were going on. It was like, oh, I didn't even realize that this was a thing because I've always viewed it from an American standpoint. Um, and I totally agree. If they had done more of taking these characters and then throwing them into these historical things, it we we kept looking up like different types of swords and different like conflicts and people because it made us want to research these things more. So if it had really stuck with that, I think that would have been something I also would have like really latched on to. Which which makes me really interested in a slightly different show mm-hmm. where um, if they, they find a setting that I'm really interested in mm-hmm. and they put this collection of characters who personify these things mm-hmm. um, that I find really interesting, that's a show that I would really get into. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure that this is quite it, sure. uh, that I connect with the characters mm-hmm. um, or specifically the swords. Um, that was interesting, but it's maybe not the thing that's going to latch me on. Sure. I think for me, the thing I didn't really like about this show was just how many characters there were. Because I know if I were playing the game, I would know all of these characters. Yeah. I was thinking about it. And it's sort of like being introduced to Pokemon. If you never played the games and you're coming in like today into Pokemon, you are overwhelmed by how many there are. But if you played the original games or you sat through like the original anime is you knew who all you could distinguish all like 150 Pokemon. Yep. You know who they were. You knew what type they were. You knew what they were strong against. Those are all things that I imagine people who have played the game probably know all of these things about these swords. I don't know these things about swords. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So that made it hard for me to attach to the characters. But I do feel like it's something that could probably be done if you take that time, but certainly not in four episodes. And, And there is no... 
they didn't really focus on any characters so that you could get to know them, which I sort of felt like was a loss um, just because I would love to get to know more of these yeah. characters. Um, but that just doesn't happen in four episodes. Yeah, this is actually one that I might be interested more in a dubbed version mm. um, because it would it would let me connect with the characters easier if I'm not having to read the whole time. Yeah. And the names are, are spoken in a way that, um, <laughs> you know, I'm not missing it because I'm going through all the subtitle text. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, to wrap up, uh, Kayla, would you watch more of this? I'm going to put maybe. The reason why is because I feel like this is really interesting. Like I said, th- this is a kind of show that I get really into. I really enjoyed Hitalia. Uh The other show you're talking about now is something that's on my radar about the warships. Um, this is something that really appeals to me. That being said, if it doesn't spend more time going back into history and revisiting some of those conflicts, this is not going to be a show I'm interested in. It's hard to care about their their individual day-to-day lives if I don't care about them. And because there's so many of them, it's impossible for me to care about every single one of them doing mediocre life things. So if I were to know that the show continues on with going back into these conflicts and spending more time in those things, I would definitely revisit the show. If not, if it focuses more on the day-to-day stuff, I I probably wouldn't engage again. So I'm going to also say maybe. Okay. And I have a potential solution for the problems that you have with this show. Okay. I'm ready. So as I mentioned in the uh, briefing, there are actually three different animes based on this. Mm -hmm. Two of them are this. They're Hanamaru. Okay. Uh, There's two seasons of this show. Okay. There is another one that is produced by a totally separate studio. Mm -hmm. It has a totally separate kind of production and from what I can tell, is uh, paced completely differently. Okay. That show is actually produced by UFO Table, which is an animation studio uh, that is probably most famous for doing um, the adaptation of Fate Stay Night Unlimited Blade Works. Okay. Um, that show in particular is highly praised, really, yeah. really good, and it's affectionately known on the internet as Unlimited Budget Works. <laughs> Yes. Because yes. Uh, the animation is absolutely crazy. Yeah. It's so over the top, high budget, well produced that, um, you know, people estimate that they just had this unlimited budget to work on. Yeah. You've shown me like clips from that and it's overwhelming how good it is. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, if you, I actually went and watched uh, like a few minutes of uh, the Token Rambu that they did. Okay. And it looks very similar. It okay. looks like it's produced the same way as, as Unlimited Blade Works. Sure. And it looks more action oriented, mm. more focused on the, the kind of historical events mm-hmm. and the battles and things like that. And mm-hmm. a little bit less of the like silly slice of life thing. So mm-hmm. if I were personally going to continue this series, mm-hmm. I think I'd abandon this one. Mm-hmm and see what that one was like first. That's fair. I'm finding it funny because this is the first time that I'm like opting to watch something that's inherently a little more violent (laughs) than something more silly that usually doesn't happen for me. I just realized that that's what I'm asking for. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it is unlike you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But it's that historical thing that I really love. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that does it for us. 
If you want to learn more about our show, you can visit our website at annamonday.moe. That's annamonday.moe. You can send us questions and comments to podcast at annamonday.moe. And you can find us on our Facebook and Twitter. Our username is annamondaycast. And you can find links for that on our website. Thank you so much to Crunchyroll for the nearly infinite repository of anime that you've provided and for providing the random button, which produces these wonderful and wonderfully terrible results. If you want to follow along with us each week by watching what we're watching, I'll have a link to the current title on our website and on our social media. Thanks also to C2A for the intro and outro music of our show, which come from the Senpai EPs that you can find on his Bandcamp. Uh, I'll also provide links to that in the show notes and on our website. All right. Are you ready to roll? I think so. (laughs) All right. Random button in three, two, one. All right. The anime for this week is Wakure Romanze. And the first episode is called The Flower Garden. There is a horse that's just staring at me. Well, the top comment is, I thought the protagonist was a horse, so. Oh, my goodness. I've never heard of this one. I, I haven't either. I can't make sense of the stills. I'm not, I'm not sure what's happening here. All right. Well, we'll see what happens. All right. I think that's going to do it for us this week. So thank you so much for joining, and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye, everyone. Hello, and no, that is not how you're starting this. <laughs>